Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 726 with Diego Galicia. We, we, we provide our team, granted it's only six of us, right? Uh, we, with healthcare, we pay 85% of our health benefits, which includes you know, dental, vision. Um, so every week, they give me like $12 per paycheck. And I said, hey guys, if you give me 12 bucks a week, if you don't go drink that week, you can give me that money, uh, you can have really dope insurance, right? Really great uh, insurance. And the thing about it is that if I can make it happen with 12 seats, anybody can. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life if you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for, and trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions to learn more and to get a cost of Zach's book, head to ZachWeiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call. But you gotta use that link or use promotional code don't stop. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt, and you can't just adapt, you have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. Chef Galicia, really, man, he got into some great stuff, some great advice. Before I give you a teaser of what to expect, I want to remind you that Toast POS is a CPA sponsor, meaning they only pay us unless you use our link. So if you are interested in Toast and uh, you want to use Toast as your platform, you have to use our link the first time you ever go to Toast. So right now, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and fill out like the three or four fields, let them know who you are, then get on their radar using our link link. Uh, that way we'll own that lead if you ever choose to go with them. And um, another thing, email us, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable 
Uh, so we know that you use our link and that you are interested in Toast so we can track it and make sure you get the $1,000 that we're paying you. That's separate from Toast. So it's important that you realize that. Now, today we have a great chat. Again, Chef Galicia is joining us. And in this episode, we discuss um, the this has to work mindset, not turning your nose to an opportunity with a, with a large organization. It might not be as cool or sexy, but you'll learn so much. What training done right looks like the art of storytelling, uh, especially when it comes to your menu, the power of cooking co-ops and collaboratives, basically coming together with other local chefs to, to, to do whatever. Maybe it's a cook-off, but the, 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 the potential of that, the networking that comes with that uh, is so powerful. This is how Chef found his, his future business partner, uh, Chef Torres. Uh, the benefits of selling tickets to your restaurant, how Chef Galicia and Chef Torres opened a restaurant with only $15,000, always putting the business first when you're dealing with partnerships, the power of treating your kitchen like a mastermind, keeping your menu fresh to keep your team engaged, and then lastly, even with six employees, you can afford health insurance. There's some great stuff in today's chat. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is, Chef Diego Galicia. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Diego Galicia. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Very unstoppable today. Yes, I cannot wait to dive into your story. So originally from Toluca, Mexico, Diego Galicia moved to San Antonio in 2001. He studied at the University of Texas, San Antonio and the Culinary Institute of America. As a student at the CIA, he worked at John Besch's Luke, a local French bakery and uh, Patty Lou's. And we just found out that that local French bakery was a past guest's mother's bakery. I love that it's a small world. Uh, that was, uh, remind me, Chef. Uh, yeah, that was like, wow, that was 10 years ago. Shout out to uh, Lucille Vatel, yes. uh, Chef Damien's mom. Yes, that's She right. had that bakery, so uh, that was about 10 years ago. And it was Chef Damien that suggested we get you on the show, so thank you, Chef that's Damien. Awesome. Here we are. That was, uh, we'll be sure to link to that episode. But uh, so you, after graduating CIA, I know you traveled around the nation. Just name those restaurants for me real quick. Yeah, please. so uh, I worked at, uh, I staged at uh, Moto in Chicago, yeah. uh, the late uh, great chef Omar Cantu. He had these amazing, super, you know, molecular gastronomy type of restaurant. Uh, and then after that, I went to Atelier Korean in San Francisco. Uh, they had a one mission starter when I, when, when I went. So you had a lot of one-on-one time yeah. with Dominique. And oh it was, man, it was I great. can't wait to dive into that. Yeah, it was super cool. And you went back to Mexico. I went for back home for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, I worked at a place called Azul Condesa, okay. which is a very traditional Mexican restaurant. Um, and uh, the chef there, Ricardo, he's like the Pobo Cus of Mexico. Okay. He's codified. Oh, I can't wait to learn about him, too. So in 2013, alongside co-chef partner Rico Torres, Galicia opened Michele, located in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Michele has been rec- regarded as one of Texas's most avant-garde restaurants. Every 45 dinners, their 90-minute tasting menu changes, spotlighting a piece of Mexico's history with each rendition. Uh, Galicia and co-chef owner Torres have been nominated for Food and Wines list best new chefs in 2017 and the duo has also been listed as a james beard semi-finalist and i mean this is not even giving you justice you guys have gotten so many more accolades too much to mention right now long story short is you guys are crushing it i cannot wait to get into your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us yeah so one of my favorite quotes it's from uh it's from jay-z nice rapper out of uh, new york and uh it says i've uh, heard of him (laughs) yeah it says uh, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation Mm. uh because character is what you really are while mm-hmm. reputation is merely what others think you are pretty 
straightforward, but dissect that just a little bit. Why does that resonate specifically with you? Uh, yes. <laughs> the thing is, a chef, uh, you have this magnifying glass on you all the time. Yeah. Anything you say makes it to the media. Everything you don't, you know, you think about out loud makes it to the newspaper. And uh, and I've had experience with that. And um, people don't know me. They don't. I keep my circle very small. Mm. Right? My, my my fiance, my friends, my my family at the restaurant my chef friends and that's it you know so people a lot of people judge you for what they read about you yeah. in the press or whatever you know going on the restaurant so uh i'm really never concerned about the the way people think i am yeah. because they don't they don't know me at all you know so i think the timing for this quote is really great casey and i were just talking about the subtle art of not giving a fuck on the way up here and i think it's exactly that i mean there's there's so many things that are going to be on your table on, like on your plate things that you have to be you know, mindful of, but you can only really truly give an F about so many of them, right? So you got to pick up the things that matter most to you and focus on those. And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but do you agree with that? Or is that kind of, is that resonating with you? Yeah, especially now, yeah, the whole right? political climate and things, and you have to be very careful about what you say mm. or the, you know, the, the, the way you think. And so, um, um, that thing about your character means more because, you know, that's who you truly are mm. rather than what people think who you are. So it's, it, uh, yeah, chefs, chefs have a big, you know, big light over them all the time, especially nowadays. So you got to, you know, stay true to that. And for sure. And don't believe what people think. Right. That you are. Yes. So what, where does it make sense to start telling your story? When did you know that food and beverage was going to be your path? Uh, I mean, okay. So I didn't, it's, it's funny, man. I was going to be a, a cop. Okay. <laughs> it's funny now more than ever. So I was going to be a police officer. Um, so my plan was to go to UT, uh, UTSA, study psychology, and I want to be a police officer, right? Um, in the middle of it all, life took me to this really weird path. I worked at Apple for a few years. Okay. I was a genius at Apple. You know, just okay. weird. I was going like, I, were, I watched uh, cars for a while, you know, watching detailing vehicles. And then um, I got fired from Apple. I oh, lost huh. my job at Apple, Apple Retail. Right? But you were, you said you were an all-star. What happened at I Apple? was a genius. Yeah, okay. no, I was like, <laughs> man, it's, I, I can't. I, it, it was bad. But I, I understand what I did was, was ridiculous, right? I'm going to say what it was. It's a really funny story. So my girlfriend broke up with me. <laughs> okay. okay. And I was devastated. I was oh, devastated. I was, I was, oh, I mean, what, 19 years old. I was yeah. devastated. And um, I had access through the Apple system to, uh, to the AT&T database because back then the iPhone was only through AT&T. Okay. So in my desperation of heartbrokenness, I used the Apple tools to look for her new phone number. So I texted oh. her. I said, hey, I miss you, please. You know, the whole story, the whole <laughs> spiel, right? And then she called the store manager. Oh, no. And then they go, hey, does Diego have access to... And they're like, yeah, I mean, he's a genius admin. He has access to a lot of different <laughs> things. And then one day I was finishing, fixing up a MacBook. I was putting the clamshell on. It was a Friday at 5 p.m. And my manager says, hey, Diego, before you go home, come talk to me real quick. I took out, I put on my, 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 uh, my Apple hoodie. I was super proud to work at Apple. And then they sat me down, uh, him and the, the, the regional <laughs> manager lady. And they asked me, hey, Diego, did you do anything inside? And I was like, no, not at all. Uh, he goes, I want to show you something real quick. He pulls on a screen and it's a video of my, of my computer, the oh, mouse moving around. Man. I had a keylogger on my computer and I'm like, fuck. I was like, yeah, it's, I'm sorry. But I mean, there's got to be a first and foremost, man, that's, that's going to be an embarrassing story to tell. So I appreciate you for getting yeah, right, I mean, right out of the gate. Yeah, I haven't even was, like warmed I, you I, up I was, yet. I was, I was, sharing I was a kid, you know, and I was, I was in a very, uh, <laughs> I was desperate. You know, I was, I needed an answer. 19 years old, man. You fall in love. Like I get it. it was, your it, frontal lobe is just an, it's like, at a, like it's like infinite stage of development, right? It was but, a nine year relationship. It was nine years oh, of wow. my life, right? Yeah. And I wasn't ready to, you know, so it was a stupid mistake. I feel like uh, that. But I'm extremely grateful for that. But any big lessons that you learned from that? experience um oh man the things at the time it didn't seem like a blessing 
God knows what have happened to my career if I didn't have done that. Yeah. You know, if, if, if she wouldn't have met someone else, yeah. I wouldn't have been left behind and yeah. I would have never started cooking, you know? Yeah. Because hindsight's always 2020, right? Exactly. So yeah. getting fired from Apple, I was desperate. Mm. Bills kept coming. I had to pay my apartment. I had to pay, to pay my car. I had a 2008 Dutch Charger that I had just gotten brand new. Um, and that car got repossessed. You know, oh, I could not find a job that paid like Apple used to yeah. pay, right? So I was like, well, fuck, man. So one day, out of desperation, I walk into a diner. It's no longer there. The building is there, but it's something else. It's an Italian restaurant. I walked in, and the lady, Patty Lou, I said, hey, I don't know anything. But if you need help run the cashier or you need a bus person, I would be happy to. I need this really badly. And uh, she hired me. I was running the register. Mm-hmm. I was. I lived across the street, which was great because I could wake. I I could walk from work to my apartment. Yeah. And uh, and one day, just like the story goes, say the cook called in. Can you help me in the kitchen? Two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Yeah. Uh, sure. I started making pancake batter. Before I knew it, I was uh, the morning cook. Okay. All right. So she traced off bacon in the oven in the morning, get the hash browns ready, get all the... We had like 30 different pancakes on the menu. It was a, it was a diner diner. And the cool thing I realized is that if you're down in your life, a restaurant will give you everything you need. It'll mm. give you food. I could eat whatever. I remember, God, I remember in the mornings, I had no money walking into Patty Lou's and making that triple bacon, double stack egg sandwich because I could do, I could eat whatever I wanted. Yeah. You know, out of the generosity of, of Patty Lou. Um, so if you're done on life, man, it'll give you food. Yeah. Uh, it'll give you a family. Yep. If, you're, if you don't have any friends, it'll give you friends. Uh, it'll give you a roof over your head. Yep. Right. So I was like, man, this is incredible because I cannot think of any other industry in the world that'll give me this much yeah. for nothing. And I'll, I'll add one more. I'll give you a skill that can literally get you anywhere in the Absolutely. world. Like you can you get can a job anywhere. anywhere in the world if you know how to carry your weight in the Exactly. Kitchen. So yeah. I was like, great. So, and I started seeing the, the, the speed of service on Sundays. All the tickets, we had no POS system. It was all tickets with waitresses just piling up. And the thing just became addictive because I remember when I was a baby, the whole, I'm going to get you. You know, you were a baby, you get jolt, <laughs> that you get that feeling that someone's chasing you. I'm yeah, get yeah. You. That's how I felt Every Sunday during brunch, it was, it was a game watching those tickets pile up and I would feel that, that pressure that, pressure yeah. that I'm going to get you. Like a, as a little kid, I would feel from my, from my parents who was playing with me and I enjoy that, you know? Okay. And it just became like this drug. It's like, man, this is fun because money was never an issue. I, I needed money to eat and to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I didn't have dreams of owning anything. My job was to provide for myself, okay. which was to eat and pay my Pay my, my rent. So was this you, this was after your time at the university? Oh yeah, I mean I was I was okay. man, I was twenty. Okay, maybe, gotcha, gotcha. You know, I was grown already. I wasn't you know. And you and that I mean this the same around the same time two thousand eight was when our last re- like serious recession was. So I'm assuming that probably played into why you couldn't find a job anymore. I remember, yeah, you I know? was at Apple when two thousand eight when we saw on the this place in the back the, the market crash and all that was going on. Uh, but I was safe with my job because Apple kept growing. You know, Apple was not getting. No. Touched, yeah, especially right? back then. Back then, the iPods first iPhone, coming out. Of, yeah, yeah, dude, it was it was great. Yeah. It was, but the thing, if I didn't lose that job, I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. Exactly, you know, I would still be in that relationship. Maybe I would be doing something else. Maybe I'd be a cop, like it was my original plan. Yeah. No, you know, so I'm very grateful that that happened. Um, you could have been a detective, considering could, all the the special skills. Maybe you Maybe I that. could be something. <laughs> but but cooking came as a pure accident, man. It wasn't yeah. my idea. I didn't want to be a chef. I'm fucking doing any of that stuff. So we, you're working with Lucille, um, and you you fall in love with like the the pressure of like the, the game of chase, right? Um, what else was it in this moment that really made you? Because com- it sounds like you committed at this point because 
then you went to Besh. I don't know if the Besh was after that. Yeah, that was then, it was after that. So, so when, you you definitely saw something. I mean, you're you're trying to you're climbing the ladder, right? Yeah, I said I said I, I can do this. I enjoy the the, the 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 environment. I enjoy the you know. I didn't have any dreams of owning anything. Mm. You know, I had a well, my car got repossessed after a while, but because <laughs> I couldn't pay it. You know, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, I didn't make that much money. I was making minimum wage. You know? I feel you. And um, but my my life was figured out. Mm. I lived across the street. My life was a mile radius. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I understood that I enjoy that life, I said, I need to learn for real because I'm 20 some years old and I don't know more than what Patty Lou's teaching me, which is how to make hash browns and bacon and pancakes, right? So um, I remember going to see, I Googled schools in Texas for culinary and um, that Texas, uh, Texas, uh, I think it's closed now. It was the Texas Culinary Academy, TCA in Austin. Austin. I think it was Austin. Uh, Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, St. Philip's College here in San Antonio and then CIA. Okay. And I was like, fuck, man. Well, if I'm going to try to do this for real for the rest of my life, I'm going to try to aim high. Mm. I got dressed up. I went to CIA. They gave me a school tour. And at the end, they tell you how much it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Property Brothers where you go to like the super cool house that you can afford. Yeah. It was just like that. So I'm like, <laughs> so I, I finished the tour uh, with April Guest, which is the director of school right now. And, uh, and she tells me, yeah, this is the packet. This is how much tuition is. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You know? So how much was it? I'm curious. In 2008, what was the cost to go to the CIA? And this is San Antonio, not this is San Antonio, New York City. Yeah, but you uh, did look at New York City. I did, yeah, and, I, and there was no way. There was yeah. zero chance <laughs> yeah. I could afford. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I'm telling you why. Because I got a scholarship. Uh, it's it's really interesting, man. Because I wrote an essay, uh, and they gave me a scholarship. Okay. So I pretty much went to school for, you know, I had to pay like little fees here and there, but it wasn't, you know, uh, it was called a sueño. It was for uh, uh, Hispanic. Okay. Uh, people that want to be chefs, right? Gotcha. To kind of like push the Hispanic yep. community to find, hopefully in the future, uh, hospitality uh, leadership roles. Right? Gotcha. They want to have more Mexican chefs, I guess. So I got a scholarship in, um, and I did the, the, the thing, you know, I graduated and, and, and that's when I went over to, you know, Chicago and I went to, uh, I got the job at Luke while I was going to school. So it was at school, uh, Luke in the mornings. And then after Luke, I would go to CIA. I would walk from downtown to the Pearl to go to school. Okay. And my life was just work all the time. I would work at Luke, CIA, Petty Luce, and then Sunday brunch at Lucille Vettel's bakery, which is now closed. But I only worked there for two Sundays because I got fired. Okay. So any looking back at this time, any in- individual, any one person that you think had the biggest influence on you? I like to say we are the average of those who have influenced us. So who who stands out in your mind right now? Uh, my brother, my older brother, okay. my brother Sergio. Yeah, that, that flies being a pain in the yeah, butt. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Probably, right. uh, probably my brother, my older brother Sergio. Okay. He uh, he's also experienced his share of uh, just bad times, mm. right? Um, he had a brain tumor at one point that was really scary. Oof. So he's seen things that I can kind of relate to, and that resilience that um, that he's shown I've, that I've learned a lot from that. So how did this impact you in the early days? Um, how did his resilience dealing with his brain tumor influence the decisions you were making in climbing this ladder, living intentionally to set yourself up for success? The best way, I'm going to tell you a little story so it'll, it'll answer your question. Um, the first day at CIA, uh, you don't cook for like the first three months. You have classes. You have like food cost classes. And you have like sanitation classes. You have to dress up the shirt and pants. I remember I got my backpack. I got a shirt, pants, and I went to got into my car, my charger, and I drove to CIA. I parked under the, the freeway in 281. I went to class. I left class like at 10 p.m. that night. I'm walking out. I get my keys. I click the button. My car is gone. Oh, man. They found it after six months not paying it. Oh, man. So right? this is the charger. It's a charger. Yeah, okay. It's gone. And it's funny, man, because I stand there 
with my backpack and no car. I had never taken the bus in my life here in San Antonio. I had no idea how it worked. Yeah. And I said, you know what? It, it's fine because this is just temporary. Mm. My plan was big. Mm. My plan was big in my head, man. You know? So you mentioned earlier that you had no plan. Really, when did this big plan emerge inside of you? I knew that if I was going to cook, I knew it would work out for me in the end. Okay. I knew it. I just believed that it was. What was your vision then? Is it anything like where you are now? Yes. What was the vision then? Uh, I had my own restaurant at mm-hmm. some point. I didn't know it was going to happen so fast, you know? but I knew it was going to be somewhere in the, in the, in the, in the long run. It had to work. Mm. Right? It could not not work. And I remember my car was gone. I don't know what happened to it. I have no idea. They never called me for anything. Not even to offer... A deal, which I wouldn't have been able to pay. <laughs> How do you with. get to that point where failure is not an option, where it has to work? What, what, what's, what is it about you, Diego, that makes you like have – like where does this come from? Was it because of your bro- brother? Because you mentioned your brother. Was that influencing you as failure is not an option? Like where exactly does he tie in? Yeah. So in Mexico, we have a saying that goes, uh, you, don't need, you don't even go backwards, not even to gain speed. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, don't even go backwards. Just, just, just go. Keep uh, running. And the I, obstacle just, is the way. Yeah, right? like, don't even, yeah. don't even go back to gain speed. So it was a thing of, uh, when I stood there in the bus stop looking at a bus, I was like, it's fine because this is just temporary. Mm. I know it's temporary. I feel it in my heart that it's just for now. Mm. I was, you're going to be laughing at the situation in the future. And I laughed about it many, many times. I've had the luxury of going to a dealership and getting a new car. You know, like, so I knew that it was going to be just a thing that happened. It was part of the experience. Um, because I knew the moment I vowed to be a chef, to be a cook, that was going to be the rest of my life. And it just had to work. I mean, I think that's so powerful. There's the, 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 the power of mindset, the power of this is where I'm going and the, having the tenacity just to get there, right? With nothing getting in your way, being unstoppable. Really, it's all about, about mindset, right? Um, any key mentors of those three restaurants? I know you were with, uh, uh, you were with Lucille, then you were at Patty Lou's, and you also had John Besh. I don't know if John Besh was there. I know at this time he... I saw him twice in my life. He yeah, didn't yeah. care too much about the, the restaurant. And you know, whatever reviews came out of that place kind of reflected for themselves. You know, yeah, just, yeah. Um, but you mentioned your brother, but was there anybody within the restaurant industry that influenced you to, to set you on this path or, or recognize something in you and let you know that this was the right path for you? Man, I wish I, I, wish I had. I, I never had a mentor. Never. Okay. You know, and it's really interesting because um, everybody has that one chef. Yeah. And I'm very jealous of my friends um, that have had, you know, Michelin-starred mentors and they can call them anytime. Yeah. And I don't have anybody like yeah. that, you know. It was always by what I know how to do. It was always by... I wish I had that connection with somebody. Um, I do now. I have a great group of friends yeah. that are chefs. They're very successful. But back then, I, I don't. You know, So it was all just this internal dialogue of this is what I want to do. And it was just the life. Because you mentioned earlier it was the lifestyle of being able to. Your world was in a, a little bubble. Like mm-hmm. You could go across the street. You could be at work. and Was it just the lifestyle that really appealed to you? It wasn't necessarily a mentor pushing in the direction? It was because I could do something with my hands. Okay. It wasn't very. Uh, uh, I didn't have to use too much brain space. Too much. Uh, I'll be frank with you. I have a GD. I don't have a high school. I don't have a high school diploma. Okay. I never went to high school. Um, I don't think it's necessary, honestly. And so it was. He had to do something that I had to do with my hands mm. that I knew how to do. Uh, I, I, you know, but I do, don't, you have, do you have any learning disabilities? Uh, no. Okay. No. I just. It just never stuck. I just yeah. never stuck. You know. I noticed. I mean, as you see it time and time again within the restaurant industry, that people who do not excel in traditional uh, educational formats. Um, excel in this this industry. A lot of them, it's because I, me personally, I have dyslexia, and I know a lot of other chefs and, and restaurateurs struggle with learning disabilities. But when they get out of that conf- the confine of 
uh, standardized you know schooling and they get into like the, the real world they they excel and I was, I'm just curious if there's anything like that going on in your life it's no and and I feel bad for my parents because they deserved more they deserve to, to me to you know to 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 kind of like uh what's the word perform I come from, from you know nice you know honest nice family and I, you yeah. know so I owe them that much right yeah, yeah. so I knew that I had to work twice as hard to feel make my parents feel kind of proud of me, gotcha right? gotcha so um no it just it's, school never stuck uh, I just wasn't interested okay you know so uh, we haven't really talked about the CIA any I know you mentioned no no mentors but any key experiences that kind of help set you up in this I mean you you stage at some great restaurants somebody must have planted something yeah I, I, I will tell you uh, there's a an instructor his name is Henrik Bombargen he's this really tall German instructor from CIA and uh I guess he was a f- one person that if I was to like duckling into a goose kind of situation, follow around, it would be Henrik. What uh, was it he, about him? Um, well, he's German. So he has this really funny way. I asked Chef one time, I asked him, hey, um, you know, he has certified master chef. Like he's very well trained. He knows in and out of everything. And I asked him, hey, what was your plan B? You know, he says, I wanted to be a clown. <laughs> okay. But he said it like with whole conviction in his heart. Yeah. I'm going to go to clown school. You know, he's, he's goofy. He touches yeah. little jokes. Um, you can ask anybody that's been to CIA if they know Henrik, and they will know Henrik. He's incredible. You know, I think I've heard his his name referenced in books before. Honestly. Yeah, no, he's written a bunch of books, yeah. and he's I mean, he's a legendary instructor in CIA, and I kind of stuck with him. And I could call him at night. Um, when I started working with Lucille at the at the, at the bakery, one of the two Sundays I worked, um, I didn't know how to make holidays. You know, I went to, to the bakery and Lucy was like, make holidays because we have asparagus and holidays special on Sunday. No idea what she was talking about. Okay. You know, I call Henrik. Hey, chef, I need to make a holidays. Yeah, yeah. Boom, boom. Hey, I need to poach eggs. You know, I don't know how to do that either. Yeah, real quick. Boom, boom, show me. So I could use the one successful Sunday I had at Lucille's was because Henrik helped me out. So what's the lesson there? Why did that one, that moment of having somebody in your corner, it sounds like this is the first person within the world of, yeah. of hospitality and in, in, in the culinary that was in your corner. What did that do for you? I, I think it was my sincerity. So the CA instructors see this all the time. They see kids going to school and then a year after they graduate, they're doing some other shit. Yeah. As much as I love my school, kids, it's, it's a hard environment to stick to, Yeah, you know? Because you get there, it's safe, it's closed, you, there's no food calls, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do, yeah. you know? And then you get, like, kicked out, okay, guys, graduation time, go fucking take over the world. The percentage of people that are really successful is tiny. It's Well, I mean, I say it all the time. I, I really encourage people to get experience within the industry, to get a taste of what the reality of the industry is before you make that massive investment in your, in your career, in your, in your education. And you had the, the luxury of, of getting a taste of it before, and you knew it's what you wanted. And so, I mean, I'm sure that influenced you. Um, but dialing back to this, this, this chef, uh, Hendricks, correct? Hendrick, yeah. Yeah, Hendrick. Um, he said he wanted to be a clown. And, and then you, you were talking about your mentor again, uh, Lucille. Um, and he was there for you. How did him wanting to be a clown? And how does that all tie together? I don't know if I'm quite getting it. I don't know. So I don't know. So that was the, I asked him like, "Hey, what was your plan B?" You know, and he yeah. was like, "Yeah, I want, to, I want to be a clown." So the thing about like about Henrik is that he didn't think my questions were stupid. Oh, okay. And he knew that I was serious enough to be like, "Hey, my job is requiring require me to know how to poach things. Can you help me?" You know, he wasn't just uh, some rich kid from Mexico that moved here because his parents are gonna pay for CIA because they seen them. They see him all the time. Yeah. You know? So what's the underlying message there? The underlying lesson? There? I, I think he felt my sincerity. Mm. My, my, me asking for help was sincere. 
it wasn't just a curiosity because hey how do you poach an egg it was more like a, hey I need to pay my I need to learn how to do this in order for me to make it to the next step so it's a lesson not to be afraid if you have if you're coming from a sincere place ask for help don't exactly. be afraid to ask yeah, for help because in the, in the cooking world it's so strange man because the, the, you're supposed to know everything. Yeah. You know, I worked in kitchens when it's fucking miserable to work with these people, man. Fucking miserable. Yeah. Because the egos are there. It's mm. a real thing. You know, it's like you. Sup- I remember when I worked at Luke, I started with Garmin J, the salads and the fucking desserts. And uh, the guy next to me, um, he was in uh, in, uh, in saute. And that's like a high speed station. Okay. It's like where you kind of like fucking just murder it. Right. And I'm doing salads and I'm doing the bread puddings and I'm looking at him. And um, one day, man, I get hit. Salads, boom, 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 boom. And these were really composed salads. You have to like, and then desserts and this and that. And I'm like, yo, I need help. And they would just, he would just look at me. He would just look at me. Like, motherfucker, like, you should be able to. I, I can't. So that's where I realized that cooking is a team sport. Yeah. You know? It's a team sport. It's just like football. It's just like soccer. You need everybody in tune. Yeah. You, you, you need to help. And, and also just being, I think, just being mindful of the people around you and not waiting for them to say, I need help. Like p- picking up on that energy, you can see they're getting into the weeds. Bro, you good? Sister, you good? Like, yeah, and it was great because when yeah. my tickets were clear, I would jump in. One of my best friends, uh, Chef Luke Cologne, um, he had a restaurant called Folk that burned down a few years ago. And it was a phenomenal restaurant. And Lou was doing um, uh, uh, saute when, I, when we worked together Luke. And when I was doing my salads, I would go stand with him. And I wouldn't offer my help. I would just start helping him. Yeah. Peeling time and his little prep that he had to do. And we just became really good friends. Was this there. the same? The, the, this wasn't the saute show. The, the, somebody else. That was somebody else. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that was, so Lou and I worked with a bunch of fucking people there that, you know, but Lou and I became close in that, you know? Yeah. And I would finish my, 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 my orders and I would just kind of just go with him and, and I would learn from him. You know, he went to Johnson Wales. Yeah. He worked at Alenia for a while after that. Okay. Um, because I, I understood the sincerity in, you know, he was doing. You know, just like me, he was trying to make make it happen for himself yeah. in the future. You know, I love it, man. Um, I mean, I think that same mantra of not seeing, like you said, it's all about ego. There's a lot of ego in this industry, but there doesn't have to be. At the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same place, and you're going to go much further together than if you, you might get there faster by yourself by screwing people over or whatever. But how far are you going to get when it comes time to to need a reference? You know what I mean? Or when the guy or girl that you worked with five years ago is now working at Alinea, right? Now you can get a letter, letter of rec- recommendation, mm-hmm. right? All these things, people remember you. You have to be mindful of those relationships early in your career. I think that's the big takeaway I'm pulling from this part. Is that safe to say? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so you did, did any of these relationships end up serving you? I mean, I know you went on to stage at th- three really great restaurants. We mentioned them in the beginning. You were with uh, Dominique Crenn. You were with Moto in New York City. And then you Chicago, yeah. Uh, sorry, in Chicago. Thank you. And then in uh, back home in um, Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Um, any big mentors during this time? I mean, what time is it when you when you graduate the CIA? Yeah, it was uh, December of 2010. Okay, so you spent two years there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, did you have what was your plan after graduation? So, I graduated and I had I had uh, student loans from UTSA still. Okay. And I was like, shit, man! Like they're gonna start garnishing my wages. Yeah. And uh, going through uh, Craigslist, I found a job. Uh, for R&D for Taco Cabana. Okay. Taco Cabana, it's a uh, chain restaurant here in Texas. It's a staple. <laughs> it's, Texas, yeah, yeah, it's a, a Tex Mex. And I saw the salary and I was like, wow. I checked the requirements. I was like, wow, like, I, I can do all that stuff, you know? Well, you're graduating from CIA. I hope you- <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, cool. So I applied and, uh, and I got the job. Nice. And I did it for three years. Okay. Now, people have this thing. In, uh, when I started working there, I got a, a lot of laughs out of people and people were like, you know, making fun of me. But, um, that job allowed me to one pay 
debt that I had from student loans and two, it allowed me to work on my restaurant. Yes. Right? How? Uh, I started saving money towards it okay. because now we're making more money than I was ever going to make at a restaurant doing R&D. Right? Yeah. So my job, I would, I would, um, I would um, uh, report to the CEO uh, of the company and when they needed a promotion for June, they like, hey, we got a taco promotion. I would create a product. Okay. So I'm curious, what was your role? What did they hire you on as? R&D chef. R&D yep. chef. Okay. Yep. So I mean, I think there's something to be said about working for a corporation or a bigger, a bigger operation, right? Um, the, you, the skills you learn in those bigger operations, systems, processes, procedures, documentation, uh, HR, like all these things that are kind of overlooked in smaller operations. Mm-hmm. You might learn how to cook like a mofo in a smaller operation, sure. like a you know a mom and pop, like where there's only five or six mm-hmm. people. They might get all the skills and all the knowledge from this executive chef that will take you under their wing. But what are they teaching you about running a business? I have a PhD in food cost. Yeah. That's because, what I learned. Okay, you know? so give us some lessons. Like really, like what are some of the things that your, your average restaurateur doesn't know because of your experience at Taco Cabana? So, you live and die by your numbers. It doesn't matter how cool your food looks or how amazing. It's really all about your numbers. Mm-hmm. And the thing people forget is that a restaurant is a business. Mm-hmm. A restaurant is supposed to create money. Yeah. Right? And a lot of chefs, they, no, I mean, it's a passion. Fuck no, man. I want to have a nice house. I want to have a nice car. I want to be able to go on vacation. I want to be able to travel. I want A business does that to you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of chefs, even now, like, you know, well-known chefs, they get lost in that, in that sauce. I think the, it comes back again to the ego, right? It's like, bro, it's a business. Yeah. A business is supposed to make you money, yep. right? I'm not in this shit to work for the rest of my life. No, I want to <laughs> retire someday and you know have a nice chunk of change in the in the bank account. So um, working at TC, I learned uh, numbers. Numbers, food costs, like everything down to a penny. You know? Bring it back a layer. One layer different. What's one thing that they do as far as how to get down to that penny? Something. Like, what level do they bring it? Like... Can you give us something specific? Yeah. So um, TC, well, they have a lot of uh, uh, purveyors, right? Okay. They have like three or four meat purveyors. They have, you know, the queso purveyors. So everything comes in already uh, costed down to like the ounce. Like the ounce of queso it costs the company this much. You're going to sell it for this much and your profits in the middle. So I learned that uh, how those operations work, these massive operations, like how much fajita, you know, they require um, to, to make all these fajita tacos company-wide, 145 restaurants in three states, right? Mm-hmm. So th- it's incredible um, the, uh, the level of, 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 of how deep you get into food costs, you know? And at the restaurant, that's one of the things I pride myself the most is that we have everything really, like, dialed in, you know? And, uh, and also, also because our ticketing system, like, we know who's coming when, people pay ahead of time, and that allows me to keep that food cost, like, where it's supposed to be. Gotcha. Rather than if I have a traditional restaurant, I purchase all this stuff during the week, and then I'm just sitting on this shit. Because people forget that when you buy something, and I fired chefs before because of this, when you buy something, that's money now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I fired one chef one time because we had oysters uh, in the fridge, in the walk-in. They were just sitting there and sitting there. I'm like, yo, man, like, that's money now. Is this at, at Taco Cabana? No, or? no, this is after. This okay. is like a little gastropub we think we did a few years ago, this gotcha. consult job. And... Uh, that's money. You know? I mean, like product on shelves is cash on shelf. You got to stay liquid, you know, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's a huge lesson. Any other big lessons from working at Taco Cabana that you wouldn't have had if you started at a smaller mom and pop? Yeah, um, training. So one morning I started developing a, uh, a cook certification program. So I took it to myself and I went to all the restaurants and I trained everybody how to make the Taco Cabana food. Okay. You'd be amazed to have no idea how to make rice properly. Like they had no idea how to do rice properly or beans properly. No clue, you know, because a lot of times these are, you know, older Hispanic people. They've been there for 20, 30 years. Nobody gives a shit about how they're doing or they don't know, man. Yeah. So I, I developed this really beautiful like deck of slides and I went to yes. every store and I trained them how to do um, 
everything proper. So when, when, when they learned the right way, food cost was better. There was less waste. Food improved dramatically because it was done uh, in smaller batches more during the day than making a big batch of beans and let it just cook all day long. And it was, you know, so it was yeah. like everything so, changed. So paint that picture of what training somebody right looks like, how you set somebody up for success. And I, I mean, I don't want to put words into your world, but like what, what did you do? What, what tricks did you use? What tools did you use to tr- create that training? How so, are you painting so, that So picture? the success of these companies, Taco Bell, I'm going to say, you know, uh, I don't know, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever. Um, they use tools that measure every, you have to measure everything, right? So you make a, a, a batch of rice, it has to be measured properly. Um, and we start with that. I say, hey, how are you measuring rice? Well, I kind of just eyeball it. Fuck, done, no. <laughs> because when you eyeball it, you're making more, yeah. you're making less, and just that's going to start messing up everything else forward, right? Yep. So uh, I got them all new measuring spoons. I got them all new measuring cups. Um, and the yield was better. The food was better. You know, yeah. uh, the waste so, was way less than it was before. Yeah. So what Chef's is talking about is standardization. It has, there has to be standards. You yeah. can't just wing it. You exactly. have to put like measurements and like this is the picture of perfection. You got to paint that picture and measurements is one way to do that. What else? Every restaurant that I've worked in, high end. I remember I touched at uh, Aruchi, Aruchiko uh, with uh, great Sterling readings. He, he was the chef de cuisine there. Really good friend. Phenomenal, phenomenal chef, Sterling. He's in Austin. And I remember I was going through the, um, I was doing um, uh, a mise en place for service. I was for one day. And uh, that was while I had Michelin. Uh, every so often, we close down and we all go somewhere. Yeah. Like all the staff goes start somewhere. Um, and uh, Sterling passed me over uh, uh, a recipe for Uchi. And it was in grams. That's the first time I've ever seen that. You know? I went to, well, before I went to Dominique's and recipes, grams. Moto, everything's in grams. Because they know that you need to stay. If you want to be profitable, you need to keep everything consistent in your yep. recipes. Yep, down yeah. to the milligram. That's it. Yeah. And that's how you make your money, you yeah. know? I love it, man. Awesome stuff. So um, we, we did it. We mentioned earlier. I mean, we, we just mentioned again when you went to Dominique Crins, uh, you learned more there. Was that like at your time at CIA? Were you staging? Were you traveling around? Or was this? That was after CIA. Because if my, if my math is right, you were three years at um, Taco Cabana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you graduate in 2008. So now it's 2011. You open in 2013. 13. Mm-hmm. So we're getting close to opening day. Mm-hmm. Um, any other key mentors, any other influences that we haven't put down on the table yet or big lessons you learned to set you up for success? Man, no. I wish I did. I mean, I, But I, I did fall in love with what I would see. When I went to Dominique's restaurant, they only had one star. So you would get a little one-on-one time with her. Mm. Right? You would see her. Like now it's impossible. To get a time with Dominique, you know she's huge now. She blew up and all these accolades and three Michelin stars. And but when I got there, I would go in the morning and she would arrive, and then she would just pull me aside and hey, you know what do you want to do today? Do you want to spend time with uh, the pastry chef, you know, Chef Contreras, uh, or you want to stay in the kitchen with me? So she had that motherly, mm. that motherly. She knows she understands how hard it is, right? Yeah. So she doesn't want to put more on your plate with a bad attitude or inhumane treatment or yelling at you because, man, I heard some really fucked up stories from some of the best restaurants in the country about how they treat their, their, their people, you right. know? Um, and there's no need for that. No. And because I, the road is hard on its own. Yeah. I mean, she's coming. Or you're going to her specifically. I mean, people are going to these restaurants to learn and she knows that. It sounds like. So she's being intentional with your time and her time. And she knew that I had to save money for that trip. Yeah. You know, I couldn't afford a hotel, so I stayed in Fort Mason, which is this beautiful national park, and they have a small hostel. You know, I was paying $15 a night. She knew that I was spending money to go spend some time with her. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and she, under- she appreciated that. That, hey, this kid from Texas flew here, is spending money 
to come see what we're doing here. Yeah. Right? So just that mentality of, of knowing that your people are there to coming, especially, especially for you, they're coming because there's something that, that was about you, your restaurant that intrigued them. They're coming to learn. You, you got to be mindful of that you got to give them what they want because I mean, you probably weren't making the, the most money at a restaurant like this. I'm assuming, I mean, probably, I'm sure it was fair. Yeah. Well, I didn't get paid. Oh, it was a stash. It was a stash. Right. Yeah, okay, I didn't get so paid. So go. I was there just for yeah. free, but that was, that, I was okay with that. Yeah. Uh, the thing I learned with Dominique was the art of storytelling, mm. which is a big part of me. Which is now. huge what you're doing right now. Yeah. So specifically, what did she teach you? Uh, so Dominique, she writes a poem. The menu is a poem, mm. right? And she's a phenomenal writer. And, uh, and you just go, it's a, it's a story. You know? Yeah. Because when you go to a restaurant now, and it's 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 kind of fucked up because you're spending all this money and they're just dropping food on your plate. Yeah. They're just food on your table. This is the local scallops with blah blah blah. Tell me more. I want to no. know more. Give me an example of a story she told with her menu that really impacted. Man, you. I think when I was there it was a fall menu, and uh, and you read the menu, you know, part by part, and the the the, the, the ocean. The, when she gets to the ocean, um, the dish has like sea foam, and it's just beautiful landscape on your plate. And I I just fell in love with that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the way she talks with her with her accent and the story she's telling. So anytime you go to a restaurant, it's just like this is a local dish, and they put it on your table on the table. That's not enough anymore as a diner, you know, because when it's a story, it's so much more memorable. Who's the fisherman, right? Like, what's the what's the what the, what's what's some information about this fish specifically? Mm-hmm. Why do we source this fish in particular? Is it a, is it a quote unquote trash fish? Are we trying to like be mindful of the environment? Like, all these things, people care about that stuff. Like, what's the story behind this purchase? Why do we go with this fish? A that few, kind of stuff. A few right? months ago, I went to this restaurant in Chicago. I'm not going to say names. Uh, Michelin star restaurant and uh, tasting menu, and it was very cold experience. Mm. The place is beautiful, but the, the transaction between me and the service was just like this is our local halibut. Bye. You know, like it was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know more. Like, tell me more. I'm yeah. paying $1,000 to wow. eat here. Tell me everything. Yeah. You know, I want to know everything. Um, it's part of the experience. My fiance and I went to the French Laundry a couple of years ago. And uh, that only reinforced your commitment as a chef to give your guests the most memorable experience you possibly can. We had a great meal. So how is this, this experience different from the, the, the experience in Chicago? Uh, it, it, was, it was the whole story of the laundry. Mm. Right? It was everything. Everything you imagine. It's what it, the service, impeccable, the dishes, the, the, the tone of their voices. Uh, they know everything about you as a diner. Everything. They chef has a restaurant. Oh, shit. Hana, happy, whatever. It was like amazing, you know? Yeah. And the bad thing is that those experiences, uh, a civilian will never enjoy them more than a chef would because that only reinforces you and kind of pushes you yeah. to achieve that level of excellence. You I know? love it, man. Um, it was incredible. I love it. So real just quick shout out to Dominique Crane. I, we, she's somebody I've been trying to get on the show. I was in Los Angeles or she, San, San Francisco. Francisco, San Francisco. Thank you. And I just want to hope, hope get well chef. Cause I know she's battling mm-hmm. cancer and uh, I think she's on the upswing right now. So our thoughts are with you. Get well chef. I keep, next time in San Francisco, I'm going to give you another shot and hopefully you're feeling much better. I can't wait to get you on the show. Yeah. She's so, incredible. Yeah. That's what I, that's all I've heard. Um, so we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to be right back to talk about how you started living your, your vision to, to open your restaurant. Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. 
And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toasttab.com dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and it was around this time now we're, we're looking at what 2011 mm-hmm. right um that did you leave taco cabana altogether to start planning this restaurant michely or like take us through that yeah process. so i was staging during that time okay. i went to mexico city staged there san francisco staged there because uh they were campaign me i was a salary employee for okay. the first time in my life which nice. was phenomenal Another benefit, right? yeah, nine to five yeah. health insurance it was great which also learned about that. Uh, initially, everybody has health insurance. We pay 85% of the health insurance. Damn. And I learned that because uh, I had it when I was at TC. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's, that's another tangent we can hit up later. But um, it's 2011, 2012. And uh, I get a call from uh, my friend Lou, Lou Cologne, the chef that uh, had this place burned down. And I said, hey, man, we had this cooks co-op that we're starting, all the different cooks in the city. And we're going to do dinners together. And you should come by, check it out. And uh, I was sure. So I went there that night. Um, it was maybe like 10 chefs, all local cooks from different restaurants. And that night I met my partner, Chef Rico Torres. Okay. And uh, I was kind of helping everybody with their mise en place. And I wasn't an invited chef that night. I was you know, just kind of helping, seeing what the whole co-op, uh, Texas Cooks Co-op was called. And uh, Rico, we just hit it off. Hit it off, man. It was like, shit, man. Like I was helping him out. Became really good friends. Um, and every dinner that I got invited after that, we paired up together. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more, more about your partner, Chef Rico. What yeah, was he so, doing before this? Yeah. So Rico, so he had his own catering company. Okay. Uh, one man show, a catering company. He had it for about 10 years. Um, he purchased it from some other guy that sold all the chafers and the van. Like he had like a, an old van that he would put everything in there. And Rico just hustled for 10 years, you know, his little catering company, one man show, Sometimes his brother would help him out, okay. but it was just like a very small operation, you know? What was it about Rico? Um, you guys, you hit it off. What was it about him? What was the impression he made on you in this first impression? That he was for real. Okay. That he was for real. Because, what made him for real? How did you know he was for real? Uh, because he had a wife and a kid. Mm. So that means that when you so, have a family to support, you're not fucking It's around. not about ego for him. No, it's about, I need to make this happen, mm. you know? And that's what I liked about Rico is that he was committed just like me. Like we share this. We gave the same vows one day to this career. It's like, hey man, this is for real. And, uh, and we just became friends. You know, he's from El Paso, family in Mexico. We just hit it off, you know? Okay. We had the same uh, hunger for learning. Yeah. You know, and Rico taught himself. Rico didn't go to school. He didn't go to, you know, any cooking school. He taught himself, which to me was extremely honorable. So you guys met in 2011. 2011. And when did the conversation about possibly partnering up? How long did it take to get your, your, your friendship, your partnership to develop to that point? So every night, every time we did a dinner, we were paired up. Okay. And we would do it. How often were you doing these dinners? Once a month. Okay. Yeah. And then we paired up, we paired up. And then the whole co-op thing went in different directions. Someone wanted to do like, just kind of bullshit, like too many leaders and there was- Too many chefs so, in the yeah, kitchen, so, pun intended. So Rico and I bounced. We're like, <laughs> fuck this, let's do our own thing. And we did a, a thing called Gastronomic. That was our new group, okay. right? It was like three of us and we did like twice. And then uh, one morning, I told Rico like, yo man, uh, 
I have this money saved up. He had some money on the side. We put together 15 grand. And I said, hey, man, have this idea, Rico, for a restaurant. It sounds crazy, man, and cookie, but I want you to come with me, man. Yes, dude. I want to back up a little bit. Um, so what was the name of the group you guys put together? It was called Gastronomica. Gastronomica. So the, the, the first one with everybody was called the Texas Cooks Co-op. Okay. Right? It was like all these, all these cooks in the city. Yeah. Uh, my friend Lou was part of it. He was the leader of it at the, at the beginning. Um, and then when we were going to bounce, we started our own one. So what was the objective of these, these collectives? Just to kind of do your own thing. Mm. Like, hey, for, for example, my name is Peter and I work at, I don't know, the Hyatt. You know, I'm a, chef, I'm a cook there. But yeah. hey, this is like a dish that I want to do, you know? Okay. So we all made a tasting menu of like 15 courses and every cook would have his go at his own dish. So we would sell tickets and then we would uh, spread the money around for food cost. Okay. And then uh, we would, you know, use that money to buy ingredients and then people would go to dinner. So... Uh, was the objective to try to just have a side hustle to, to make some more money? Or My objective was to, to make money. Okay. Their objective was to kind of like, oh, the dinners, man. I was like, nah, fuck that. We should make some money too. Well, the reason why I wanted to hover over this because I think people think that they like the, the, the journey starts with their first restaurant. And something I want to communicate people to people is you can start where you can. And that is in a pop-up or a collab mm-hmm. or a, a collective, right? Or a coalition or whatever you guys call it. For you, it was gastronaut. Say it again. Well, gastronaut. Yeah, so it was a Cook's Co-op, the Texas Cook's Co-op. And then, yeah. then you guys And then we off. bounced. Yeah, and then were we you, started gastronomy. Were you trying to do it different? Like, was it, were you trying to take a different approach? Well, no, yeah. we were trying to make some money. Okay, but like when you guys broke off to do your own thing mm-hmm. were there any lessons you learned from the first time that you wanted For to do sure. differently mm-hmm. so what were the lessons you learned that you you uh, uh, took into account when you did when you broke off to do your own thing well one thing was to keep some of that money for ourselves okay you know i mean we'll you know how much money would you make typically during one of these, co- these so co-ops? i think the tickets went for 40 40 dollars and we would have a cap of 40 people okay so it was you know and take us through that whole process of what it would take to, to, pull, to pull these people together uh how you would promote it like just paint that picture of what the co-op actually was yeah so we it was heavily in social media uh, we had a logo made, okay. um, and then it was just word of mouth. At first, it was only the families of the cooks that would come to okay. the dinners, and then you would just see foodies, local foodies that yes. would hear about it somewhere, and they would show up and buy a ticket. How um, much were you guys selling tickets for? This is two thousand forty forty dollars. Okay, it was like it was like fifteen. It was ridiculous. And where would you do it? Would you do it at the same spot every time? No. So uh, restaurants would host us on a Sunday. Okay. Different restaurants would let us use their kitchens. Uh, the Art Institute in San Antonio, the school, will let us use the kitchen a couple of times. So we would do it wherever it was free. Were you trying to collect emails when people were, when you were yeah. selling these tickets? Mm-hmm. Were you collecting emails? Yep. So we would send a newsletter out like, okay. hey, the next dinner is like Sunday, whatever, whatever. And then they would buy a ticket. Okay. Um, and what were you using to sell these tickets at that time? Uh, I think they would pay when they got there. Okay. We'll collect money. Okay. Or I think so, yeah. I mean, I think these are so powerful because you're you're developing a reputation and you're networking and you're sharing knowledge. You're coming together. Whenever people come together for you, a similar cause, right? To, to sh- whatever it was, whether you're just trying to show off or your thing or just get creative and have a creative outlet. But th- th- there's a sense of camaraderie that forms around that. You meet people, you find your future business partners, mm-hmm. right? What else comes from that? Yeah. Uh, you get a little extra cash flow. Yeah, a little bit of money. And then uh, you never learn stuff faster because mm. between dinners every month you would read all the books you could read yes why? Like, why why would you read all these books because you want to do the coolest thing yes you want to friendly the, competition you want to have right? the best dish yeah you, you guys the feed thing. each other yeah. the energy it's so powerful yeah. and then we'll do a big order from modernist pantry like hey he wants to buy powders it just became this really cool thing that was really exciting and i've never felt that anymore yeah and birds are the same feather flock together when you can create an opportunity to attract onto yourself other passionate people like only good things come mm-hmm. of that and i think you are a shining example of that you know you you you, what would have, and I think the other, the, the mentality of like learning that, you, 
hey, like we don't need to go the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to sell like or just have reservations like the traditional way. We can sell tickets, mm-hmm. and you can spin a whole concept off this idea of selling tickets. And I think we'll get into that, but I'll kind of progressing forward. So you and Enrico start really hitting it off. There's yeah, you guys we, have this connection. Revived, what was became- it um, about your your connection? Like what was it about him specifically that compensated you? Why did you know he would be a good partner? And you already mentioned that he was in it because he had family. He was for real. You said. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, his age. Okay. He was a bit older. He's a bit older than me. So what does that but, mean? Uh, he means that he's, he, it's real for him. Mm. It's he's no longer in test mode. Yeah. He's like he wants to fly. He's got. Go. He's got to execute. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't a kid anymore. You gotcha. know. So I was like, man, these guys for real. So I said, hey, man, um, I know it's a big ask, but man, you, I want you to come and do it with me. You know, I know you have a family. I know you have a, a business that provides. This may fail completely, yeah. man, but trust me, I believe it's gonna work. Yeah. And he without stuttering without no reservations he said absolutely what did he see in you um man i don't know i never, never had him. that conversation no. you never he's never like commented you on something that you do or like thank god you're here because i'd be screwed if no man when we had some man we've, we've had some very intimate romantic moments him and i in our partnership have you ever we, cried absolutely yeah okay. yeah That's absolutely good. i remember when we got food and wine uh back in 2017 we were in aspen in the mountain there's a big party everybody's there yeah anybody in the whole natural and we're sitting there, and I look at him. He looks at me. And I'm like, "The fuck did we get here, man?" You know. And he was just this bond. We have this yeah. phenomenon. He's my brother, man. I mean, shit. We just have this thing, you know. For the past seven years, we've. I think a big part of the rest of being so successful is that we, we we're, we're, we're family. You know, yeah. we don't. There's none of that. There's nothing. It's just. Um, and he said, "Yeah, I will." The next day, he sold all his catering stuff. Damn. We put together $15,000. And that's not, I mean, that's, that's not a lot of money, no. man, which is another point. And like you, we had Jason Dady on the show, or we just, his episode just went live this morning. And he said, you can open a restaurant with $50,000. You don't need the big, shiny restaurant. You did it. You, you, you cut his number in almost like what? Like a third right there. Mm-hmm. Like a, even a, a fraction of that, $15,000. How did you do it with $15,000? So we're like, okay, man. So first, when you see where it's going to go. Um, and we started just going to Google, looking at uh, like commercial real estate, and there was no way, zero chance, man, we could make it happen with 15 grand. But you did. And, and then I said, hey, man, uh, here in Normals Park, man, off of my color, there's a thing called a yard. There's some train carts in the back. Let's go see what it is. And we should we drive, and there's a blue, uh, red one, a red one with a big hot dog outside. Nice. That said for rent. And Rico, I remember vividly, man, Rico dialing the number, and then somebody answered. He goes, yeah, it's it's for rent. How much? Uh, $800 a month. Uh, water included. He goes, can we see it? Oh, yeah. Two minutes later, this guy arrives, opens the door, and it's red. Latex, it's red inside. <laughs> red with a zebra uh, border around it. It used to be a hot dog boutique. There's a bathroom. There's water. Electricity. Okay. Uh, I remember walking around. There was like roaches and shit everywhere. <laughs> and I found a piece of chalk. And I grabbed it. I cut it in half. I gave a piece to Rico. And we started drawing on the wall a low boy, the hood, where it's going to go, the hand sink, the table, 12-seat table on the other side. And the next morning, we signed the lease. We got paint. We went to a, a mission, a restaurant supply, purchased a couple low boys, two regions. Uh, we went to, a, a, I think we went to a world market, bought a bunch of plates. And then we got a tax ID with LegalZoom, rich uh, of the name, Mishley. Yep. And uh, you know, we opened a few months, a couple of months after that. 
Okay. So how much money and, and did you use all that fifteen thousand? We ran out of money. Like we ran out of money. <laughs> how yeah. long did it take you to run out of money? We yeah. Well, so low boys were like five grand. <laughs> okay. You know, so we ran out of money. Well, then he came out of nowhere. You know, I was still at TC work. This was my private work I was doing because I knew it was gonna bounce as soon as I could open the restaurant. Yeah. So I kept working. We kept money money into it. Maxed the credit cards. I said fuck it. Like I don't care. I'll worry about it later. Um, and then um, I quit my job. I told the CEO, like, yo, man, like, I need to do this. Yeah. And he was like, I understand. Yeah. You know, he wasn't like, hey, dog. He was like, I get it. Yeah. He said, you don't want to do this all your life. Well, I think that's another lesson, too. I think it should be our job as mentors, as people high on the hierarchy, to realize that it's our job to. To take like we should be trying to push people out of our restaurant in the sense we take care of them so well, we give them all the skills and knowledge they need mm-hmm. that they can go on and do their own thing. Hopefully, you know, we retain a percentage of those people that become our foundation, but ultimately it's about pushing people on. Yeah, you know. I got a lot of slack, man. People would call me, uh, be like, yo, talk about how you're a sellout. Like, dude, this is not my this is not forever. Mm-hmm. Like this there's a reason why I'm working here. Um, this is just a stepping stone for me to learn some really interesting things. Uh, have more tools and then get money to have some the security. Rest. Do exactly. the there's thing. no shame. So every time there's like an award ceremony and the shit talk about, it, I have zero shame. I have yeah. zero embarrassment. Yeah, I'm happy that I work there. You mentioned LegalZoom, which I think is really cool. Which is a great resource out there. What is Re- LegalZoom? Uh, so okay, so LegalZoom is um, uh, a service that you can create an LLC, you can create a non for profit. So they do the work for you. Yeah. Um, your, your certificates yeah. of, you, you know, all that stuff. So, so it's a great tool. Yeah. So for my, it's, it's not like having a, it's not like having a lawyer on retainer, mm-hmm. but basically they're there. If you have legal questions, mm-hmm. they give you legal counsel. So mm-hmm. it's not like you have a lawyer. It's not like they're going to go to court for you, or maybe there might be something where they might give you a discounted rate. But basically if you're a business owner and you don't have access, you know, you, you should have somebody in your network who whether it's your own lawyer, but if you're starting and you only have $15,000 and you're throwing all that money mm-hmm. at your initial startup expenses, you might not have that extra cash to hire a lawyer to get that legal advice. Right. That's when LegalZoom comes yep. in. It was I think a it's great like tool. $15 mm-hmm. a month or something like that. Like yep. a, it's kind of like a membership thing. And then you can also call for like, oh, we're starting an LLC. Yep. Like what? Or we're starting a business. Like, what should we do? And yeah. they, they do all the paperwork for you. They submit exactly. your paperwork. So you can focus on what you do best. Yeah, they, I used it to set up Restaurant Unstoppable. It's great. They give yeah. you a tax ID, all your paperwork that you need. Um, and I mean, fast forward, now we have three attorneys. You know, so it's like back then we had legal Zoom. Now we have three attorneys. Like, yeah. We got to start somewhere. And there's tools to help you start no matter where you are. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, why did you know from day one that you were going to do a ticket approach? Yes. And, why, and this is early. This is going back. Again, this is 2012, 2000. Yeah, there was only maybe a couple of restaurants, Alinea and Next, that yeah. had t- ticketing systems. And so, I knew it, man, because um, this, the, the other side of the coin is very unfair to restaurants. It's very unfair. The other side of the coin yeah, is very unfair. The, the reservations, okay. the, the reservation only or walk-ins, it's a very unfair so, process. Yeah, take us through that decision of going in this direction. What, what are the benefits of doing a ticketed system? So I can, so for example, at Michigan we have 12 seats and we sell tickets. That money comes in. So I have money to pay my purveyors. I have money to really work on my food cost. I have money to pay, uh, my, my staff has guaranteed pay already the moment a ticket comes in. Um, that money goes to their health insurance. It goes to their paycheck. So I have all this money coming in um, that gets set aside. For example, I release July tickets. When I go into July first, I already have fifty grand in the bank. When are you starting to sell July tickets? Uh, the, the the first day of the, the June. Okay. So June first. So you're a month out. I'm a month out. So gotcha. every every first of the month, the tickets for the next month come. So imagine, man, you have a restaurant, and every first day of the month, I'm already I have fifty, sixty grand. In the yes. Bank. Why yeah. is that so powerful? Because then I can I don't have a uh, I don't have the water in my neck. Mm. I don't have to worry about like people are gonna come in. Am I gonna have all these shit to throw away? You know. 
it's such an unfair process. It's an unfair system. You know exactly the amount of people you're cooking for. You can, to the penny, order what you need. You know exactly. There's no guessing, right? Zero. No waste. So when we leave on Sunday outside of the restaurant, there's nothing in the fridge. There's nothing. There's maybe a little bit of prep that we can use for the following week, but there's nothing left. Yeah. Uh, I need 12 langoustines, 12 lobsters, 12, you know, we have bison. So everything's like 12, 12, 12 done. Yeah. You know, um, my profit is my profit, you know, health insurance for the staff. Um, we have uh, our bills paid way ahead of time. Yeah. You know, so the first of the month, all the bills are paid. Boom. Yeah. And I think the other variable too is you only have 12 seats. So you have a very limited amount of real estate. So you, to maximize your profit, mm-hmm. you got to make sure you're filling, you're putting butts in each one of those seats mm-hmm. and you have a better chance of doing that with this model, I would think. Yeah, I'm sure that played into it. Um, what about the sliding scale? Do you guys leverage that? Well, what, what do you mean? So, for example, I know with Alinea, like it's not the same. If you want to go to Alinea on a Friday night at seven thirty, oh, no. it's not going to be the same we've, cost on a Tuesday. Yeah, it's the same price Flat? all the time. Yeah, okay. we've never changed the. Pr- we've never gone backwards. Never. Okay. Never. That's something I will never do. Why? Uh, well, why not? What would I do? That, you know, <laughs> no, I would never do that. Or okay. do a Groupon or a discount yeah. week or a restaurant week. There is zero chance in hell I would ever discount our food. My staffs. Uh, efforts, I would never do that. Okay. I would never do that. So, but on a Friday night, would you charge more for an yeah. experience? No, okay. same thing. Gotcha. It's a one fifteen. Everybody, gotcha. everybody gets the same price. Uh, and then initially, it's like, thank God of uh, the universe, we always booked. So, um, uh, we I've never had to really, you know. Yeah, Re- reflecting back at that time, opening up and building up this restaurant, um, anything that you, you know, hindsight being twenty, would have done differently. Man. Um, no, I'm saying why because all those little lessons, like getting fired from Apple, have been a stepping stone into where we are now. Mm. You know, now I'm grateful for all the goods and the bads, and um, we fired maybe like two chefs in the yeah. history of the restaurant. Any, um, I mean, you wouldn't take anything back, but maybe there were some times you fell hard on your face that you can share with us that you learned something that you, you leveraged this day. No, no, never, never. That's nope. awesome. Never, <laughs> never, man. Not, not any issues in the public eye. Never. I've. I've, no, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't take anything back. What are the, the few things you th- that you did that were the most important things that you did that set you up for success? One was meeting my partner. That was one of the best things that ever could have ever happened to me. So I'm happy you went there first because one thing I meant to ask earlier, which I didn't get around to, you 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 mentioned that you know he he's the real deal because of all these reasons that you share with us. How do you two complement each other as a partner? You're both chefs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they say they. You know, you don't want two chefs in the kitchen, right? So, but this is exactly that. So, what does what does that partnership look like? How do you guys determine who's where in the business? No, it's 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 very simple. So, Rick and I, we have the same responsibilities at the restaurant. You know, it's never like uh, I never override his authority, okay. even if I don't agree with it. Um, if he tells one of the staffs, one of the chefs, "Hey, do it this way," but I have a different path of the same process, I never question his authority. You know, I just yeah. he, he's where Rico, Chef Rico said he wants to get done. Um, what the restaurant needs, uh, that's the main rule. We can have these agreements, but when we look at the trend and be like, what does it really need? That's exactly what we do. Yeah. It's never something like, Rico, I think we should do this way. It's always what the baby needs first. Okay. So you put the business first, your personal always. needs second. A hundred, yep, always. Yep. What about strengths and weaknesses? Do you guys complement each other? Man, yes. Well, yeah. And this is something that we talked about a lot before. And, and, and when you have a partner, it's not 50 50, it's 100 100. Mm. Because I know the day that Rico doesn't bring it or that I get sick and I don't bring it, I know that my side's gonna be put 100%. What does that look like, bringing 100 100? So let's say, for example, uh, Rico gets the flu. Mm-hmm. I'm not relying f- uh, for him that week at all. Nothing. I got him. Gotcha. You know? I got 100%. It's gonna get done. Yeah. Let's say I get sick or we have commitments and I can't be at the restaurant. 
I have zero worries. Yeah. Rico puts my 100%, you know. Yeah. Um, then we have a tremendous staff. So, yeah, it's, it's never 50-50. Yeah. I say it all the time. I don't think you can be competitive in today's market without a partner just because you, you need somebody else that to lean on, to have skin in the game because you can't be 100% all the time. You're a human being. You get, like you said, you get sick. You get the flu. People pass away. You need to go to like – you, you can't be chained to the business. You need somebody else who's, who's there who can be someone to lean on. And I, would, you, would you have been able to come as far as you did no. if you did this on your own? No. Yeah. No zero chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Anything in that first year um, that you weren't expecting? Yeah. So the first night we opened uh, the restaurant, October 1st, uh, Rick Bayless came for dinner. Oh, damn. Yeah. Fuck. Rick Bayless out of Chicago. Out big of Chicago. name. Frontier. Uh, Frontera. Yeah, Frontera. Yeah, Topolobambo. Yeah. yeah, man. So how did you get on his radar? How did you know this was going so on? So he came to the city for a Latin conference. Gotcha. Uh, it, was, uh, it was him, uh, Robert Santibanez, another chef from New York City. Uh, the, whole Latin, uh, 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 the whole Latin board for CIA. It was scary, man. Jeez, I bet. It was first night. Fuck. It was first night. Jesus, twelve. That's twelve people. That's twelve people. That's and just Rico, the whole the it, whole restaurant. And just Rico and I. Damn. That's it. No staff. No nothing. How did it go? I have no idea. <laughs> he never gave you any feedback. No, nah, we don't do. We blocked <laughs> it off our brains. Like it's that night. I remember two things: when they came in and when they left. Yeah. Anything in the middle? Uh, I remember, man. We missed the sauce in one of the plates. Oh no! So Rico went to the kitchen real quick, grabbed the pot, and I started doing it right. It was just. It was bad. It was a very bad service. Now, compared to now, <laughs> man, we made it, and the next night we had service again. You know, what was the lesson from that um, that you pulled? Yeah, I think never to lose uh, the cool with each other, mm. never to lose that respect. Yeah. You know, and that night, as messy as it was or whatever, we've never lost respect for each other. You know, it's so easy to be like "fuck you, man," well, "fuck you." It's 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 so easy. You know, There's we've never tomorrow, right? We've never crossed that line. I remember that night we left the table full of glasses and bottles and dirty <laughs> dishes, and we're like, "Yo, man, I can't." I'm sorry. And we, we left. So how do you recover from something like that? Uh, I think that the idea that we had our own restaurant yeah. was enough. Okay. We came back the next morning, man. We polished everything. And then we got, I, had, I think we had like three guests that following night. But I mean, the, you started this conversation, like early in the conversation that you like, you, you just had, there were like failure wasn't an option. You just had to go. Like, mm-hmm. and I think when you have that mentality of just like, the, like eyes forward, you know, like go ahead. Yeah. Like don't like, there's nothing we can do about our past. All we can do is what, all we have control over is our future. Yep. Right? And I knew that it was just that one night. Yeah. I knew this is just for now. It's yeah. not permanent, you know? So then next night we had, I think like three guests in the books and then we had like two and one and Michelin wasn't very popular at the beginning, you know? Okay. Uh, I'm curious. Um, when you're opening this restaurant, you said that you were doing these, um, these like these kind of these, these collaboratives, these pop-ups beforehand. Did you have an email list that you opened? Were you keeping people up to date, sharing your story? Like yeah. how did you, how did you promote your opening? Uh, Michely? Yeah. So, man, um, we had our friends and family one night, and people came out, and I think it just started uh, the Express News, uh, Etiharina, great guy. He was the food writer for the Express News uh, okay. during those years, and he liked the idea of the restaurant because it was so unique. Like, there was nothing like that around here. Even in Texas, man, there was zero fine dining going on, you know? And he, he liked the concept of the restaurant, Michely, what it means. You know, that it means cloudy now. What like the romantic sort of Misha is pretty incredible. And yeah. I've always known, man, that Misha is way bigger than anything that we could really, really do ourselves. And I think he liked the idea so much, and he gives a really good write up in the newspaper. And then all of a sudden, tickets, 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 boom, boom, boom. And then one day, we just sold out for yeah. And this time. is leading into the next thing I want to discuss is the power of a story. And knowing, and it sounds like you knew because of the lessons that Dominique taught you, the power of the story. Um, did you know that your restaurant was going to be an homage to Mexican history, and not just like you know the past few hundred years, but like 
going back to Aztec, like, mm-hmm. you know, like a Mayan, like, like you're telling a story about the, the land of Mexico. Like, was that always part of the plan? That was it. Yeah. So okay. the, the, one of the biggest tools we have as chefs, and this can be any chef, any cuisine, you have the ability to time travel. Mm. You have this machine in your hands to time travel, right? The narratives, the books are there. The chronicles are there. And you have to do is just go to the library, yeah. get a book, and you can see what they were eating back in the 1500s and the medieval times. And so part of the mission was like, yo, man, we can go to Mexico. You know, like the menu now is Mexico during the 1800s. You know, what was happening then? You know, um, and really part of mission success is the fact that we tell a story. Mm. And we tell a story. There's a saying that I really like. And I think it goes something like this. It says the historian tells you what happened, but the novelist tells you what it felt like. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So what are you doing? Are you a novelist? Or are you- I think I'm more of a novelist. Yes. You know? But I can tell you what happened in Mexico in, um, you know, in, in, in the revolution time in 1911. I can do who fought where, but I can really show you what they were eating. Yeah. Right? So how do you tie that story into a narrative at the table? What, how do you take all these lessons? You're in the library. You're going. You're looking at these historical books to see what people are eating. How, what's your approach to, to weaving this into your menu and then to, to bringing not just the food to the table, but the story with it? I really think, um, how can I say this? Uh, we try to romanticize everything. So th- there's two parts to me. So one is a storytelling, which are really going deep and taking a little adventure for whatever time. But also the food has to be very memorable, mm. right? Like I can make you a taco and it's like, oh, okay, it's a taco. But then I can make you a really cool taco, right? Mm. And the good thing about fine dining, it's nothing more but to show the cool things you can do with food. Okay. Like that's it. Okay. You know? Yeah, the ingredients are you know they're better um better sourced but it's to show you how cool food can be yeah right so i remember a few menus ago we made a a dessert was it was peach season so we made a peach that you hit with your spoon and it breaks into like a mousse right so we like make peach and we 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 paint them with a spray gun they look like peaches yeah i saw the video there's a video like we can link on uh, in the show notes i'm sure so people are like how do you do that so i want people to go home in their cars and be like yo how do they do that that was really cool it was super tasty you know and that's what makes it so memorable, and they keep coming back. So you do, so you don't just put the food in front of like you 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 create this like visual like spectacle, and then you explain how you did it, mm-hmm. and that's part of the story. Yeah. Um, what about working in the actual history to the plate and explaining why you chose this plate in the first place? How does that? So Shavrico, he's part of the uh, the committee of the of the board for UTSA for their rare uh, cookbooks collection, right? So mm-hmm. he goes to this university with the staff, and they just like murder all these old books right and they come back like hey i, I found a menu for uh the president but for the yes he had a gala at the, at the at the castle in mexico city so we go through these recipes and then we just start thinking how can we make them cool mm-hmm. or memorable right um and that's really where you pull the thread and the whole sweater just kind of unravels you know you just kind of find a recipe an ingredient what's that process of of brainstorming look like of of unpackaging the possibilities so we have uh, five uh, four chefs it's six of us and we say hey guys next region or next time in in histories we're going here okay just go to town what they were eating who was eating in this region like now in the 1800s we have the comanche the navajo the sioux uh we have the french and louisiana right and then we have uh mexico in the south and we have you know people coming to texas to populate so what were they were eating what were they doing you know who's fighting who who's trading with what you know uh one of the courses in this menu uh we have a french cheese from normandy you know because the french were like really in that part of uh in part of the part of the country louisiana so and they just tackle it boom emails text boom, boom chef this what do you think about that and then we just uh, not all the ideas make it to the menu, but it's a community effort. Mm. You know, like everybody and has a say. I'm so happy you're going here. Sorry, did I cut you short? No. So everybody has a say, you know, and we say, hey, guys, 
let's pile all these dishes that we have and let's pick the ones that we can really like knock out of the park. So you know like a month out that hey oh, guys, next month we're going here. How much time do you give your team to do this research? About two months. Two months. Yeah, about two months. And what I love, what you're explaining right now is what, and what you're doing, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's the power of a mastermind. Like mm-hmm. two mind, one mind's only so powerful. Two minds, you're doubling that potential energy of brainstorming, of coming to ideas and, and taking your past experiences and the things you learned in, in your come up and coming together, combining these experiences to, to, to see what different angles we can tackle this, this narrative, right? And then when you tap into three other minds, now that's five, five X, the potential energy of five X, the experience five X, the creative, the brainstorming power, mm-hmm. the creativity. What happens when you open yourself up to that potential energy and you give these people a voice? Like, what are you doing in that moment? I think the most beautiful thing as a chef is to just watch it and just watch it from afar, mm. you know, and, or like you walk into a restaurant and you kind of feel useless for a bit. Because they have it down, you know, yeah. and that's the most amazing thing uh, to see to see people that really thrive on those circumstances. That, that goes with it, man. Like I don't understand how some chefs can terrorize their staff. I have no, I don't understand. One thing is discipline, and if you if you interview my sous chef at some point, Cassie, she'll tell you I'm extremely um, focused and disciplined. She'll tell you that about yourself, about myself. Okay, yeah. Because she's, she's like my right hand. She's in command when we're not there. Gotcha. And so with her, I've always been really tough. Um, but it's always been based on discipline. But I understand the whole really like emotional terrorism that happens in a lot of kitchens. You know, one thing is discipline, which we enforce. And one thing is like treating people like shit. I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't get that part. So watching these, uh, these chefs, my staff, like kind of flourish in this really, you know, rich environment of, of, of knowledge. It's it's one of the coolest things I get to see at the restaurant. So what's the secret to, to accomplishing what you're accomplishing, to, to, to give the people the comfort to feel like they have a voice? How do you set that up? How do you create that culture of community, of contribution? Uh, you need to have your, your battle plan. Okay. I think that's you have to lay out what the plan is. Like, hey, guys, we're going to invade Normandy, so this is the plan. So you're that way, that vision. When you land with your parachute, you're not confused as to what's going to happen. Okay. You know what you need to get done. So um, the menu we have now, we only did it for two weeks when we opened. And then we have to shut down for COVID. Yeah. So going down to service tomorrow, it still feels brand new. Mm-hmm. Because when we finish a menu, like we're kind of like, uh, we're done. Because yeah. it's every day, the same every day. Yeah. But when you start a new menu, that it's, hunger of oh, learning... Yeah. That newness, that new yeah. car smell starts a little already. That excitement starts a little already. And I think, that's, I think that's a lesson in itself, the significance of keeping it fresh. I mean, not every concept or not every restaurant is a tasting menu. And you guys get that luxury of every 45 meals mm-hmm. being able to reinvent your approach um, or at least tell a new story, right? But we can recreate, we can do the same exact thing in our casual restaurants by having specials and then letting our people get creative to contribute and put a, a piece of their identity onto yep. the menu. Or right? just the, if, even if Michelin was like a regular restaurant, like dictate what your farmers can give you. Like, hey, chef, like today, this morning I saw some beautiful like, squash blossoms, mm-hmm. you know? So even if you don't change your menu on paper, you can change, you can do whatever you want as a chef owner. And that's yeah. the freedom that we really enjoy, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, but, but just kind of, you give them the battle plan and they just kind of run with yeah. it. Yeah. You know? There's one other thing that is really intriguing uh, about what you do. And I think from what I can gather, you do this really well as in, in on this this uh, line of telling the story, right? Uh, you, you've told us the narrative up to the point, how you prepare your, your team, how you give them the tools they need for success. And you, 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 you say that like, you give them, what was the word? Um, you prepare them the, the, the battle, going to battle, right? Yeah. Like, but when you're actually um, 
you know, it's service, right? You're, you're, now you're bringing the, the plates to the guest and you're telling a narrative. You're not just dropping the plate off. Here's the, the, you know, here's the flounder. You're like, you're, you're like, what, what does that narrative, what's that storytelling look like? How can we be good storytellers in the moment? So, what the, advice so the chef that drops the plate, uh, the chef that explains the, the course is the chef that did the, they created the dish. So all five chefs get yeah. to present. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're giving them ownership of what's happening in service. You know, I mean, people are paying good money to eat your food. Yeah. You charge so, what? $97. Uh, 115. 115. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you, they, they're paying you good money yeah. to go and your experience. So if you make the dish, you present the dish. Yeah. Why is it more impactful when if you make the dish, you get to present it? Why because, is that? Because you really sell it. Yes. And you know the ins and outs. If somebody, I mean, it's my job to know everything about the dish at the restaurant because I own the place. But if they guess us a question, have a question, you get to answer because you know all about that dish, mm. right? And, and, and watching the staff come up with stuff that's incredible, to me, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, a, I'm a Maslow hierarchy needs a nerd, dude. But like, like right up there, like I think two spots below, like at the very peak, you got to focus on the peak, it's self-actualization. Below that, it's um, feeling like you're growing personally. But below the next step below that is is being seen, being recognized, being valued, and and knowing that people appreciate what you bring to them, right? That, that That's so insignificant. So when you... When you get to like create something and then present it and immediately see, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no wall between you and the end user, and you get to see the reward, you get the cookie instantly. Yeah. How? What does that do? So it's really it's really funny. You said that it's it's, it's interesting because um, as a chef owner, all the gratification instantly goes to you, mm. right? And initially, it goes it's spread around to everybody. Yeah. So the team feels that like yo, I made this, people are enjoying it. And as a cook, at the end, in the root of everything, as a cook, all you want to do is feed people and see them enjoy your dish. Yes. That's it. Like that's service, you know, to the to the to the bottom. So um, when I explain my dish, you know, this is my dish, and I explain it, and it feels good. But to see my staff like have that ownership mm. and get that instant gratification, it's like if you go to a concert, man, and uh, Metallica says, "Hey, Eric, come play Enter Sandman," you know, and you know, in the guitar, you playing it, and then people clap. You're getting that, you know, that that part of ownership of the whole experience so at the restaurant that's what happens you yeah, know you make it. the dish you present it it's really funny because some of the staff when they get hired they're really nervous you know well i was wondering because you get 45 cracks at presenting mm-hmm. your dish right 45 times to like i mean if i know if i'm going to your restaurant i'm going there on night 44 you know what i mean because i know that that they've gotten so many practice so many swings mm-hmm. at telling the story does it get better and better every absolutely. time absolutely i absolutely. i remember uh raul one of our chefs uh he's a younger kid i think he's 21 he just turned 21 and uh, the first night, uh, Raul, you're explaining your course. And he was really nervous. Oh, man. But then watch him, like, just loosen up. And Raul loves service. He loves service. I can tell, like, he loves service so much, man. The way he moves around the table, he's super attentive. Uh, somebody drops off work, he's on it. Yeah. And to me, man, that's super cool to watch because I see that they're for real. Mm-hmm. And the same thing I saw in myself or Enrico when we met. I see them in my staff. I love it. Like they're, they're for real. It's not a game for them. I yeah. love it, man. Anything we have not discussed up to this point that you're hoping we discussed that we Yeah, maybe we can touch on healthcare and, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, please, um, please. Yeah. So we, we, we provide our team. Granted, it's only six of us, right? Uh, we, with healthcare, we pay 85% of our health benefits, wow. which includes you know, dental, vision. Um, so every week, they give me like $12 per paycheck. And I said, hey, guys, if you give me 12 bucks a week, if you don't go drink that week, you can give me that money. Uh, you can have really dope insurance, right? Really great uh, insurance. And the thing about it is that if I can make it happen with 12 seats, anybody can. I was going to say, tw- so you have three people working for you. Um, it's six uh, of us. Six of us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So four. four. Yeah, plus so, yeah. so each of them give you 
twelve dollars, so yeah. forty eight dollars, mm-hmm. um, and that covers health across. Yeah, that covers uh, what fifteen percent of their. I, I paid for the for the eighty five percent. Okay, insurance. okay, and yeah. they they pay fifteen yeah. for it. But the thing is, you don't have to pay eighty five. You can yeah. pay ten percent. You can pay twenty. The point yeah. is, it's achievable. It's very achievable. What's the secret to making it achievable? Just don't be an asshole. Don't be don't be greedy. Yeah, you know. Um, and you're doing this with a small, small team. Tiny. I mean, how many people operate with six people collectively that everybody has health, uh, dental, vision, mm-hmm. all this? I mean, it's to- totally achievable. So, I mean, don't be a dick. What else can we do? Any other like best practices? Any other companies? Like, who do you use? What company do you go to? So, who uh, works with it was, it's called eHealth Insurance. Okay. Um, and I said, hey, you have this much money. I have these many employees. But I want a dope package. Okay. I don't want him to be struggling to find a doctor or medication. I said, what? And she gave me the options. She said, the gold, the silver, and the bronze. And the gold was, was uh, um, we, could, we could afford it. So uh, you don't have to do it. Just offer anything. Anything. You don't have to offer the top of the line. You can offer the gold, the, the bronze, you know, whatever cheap. But hell, anything helps. Yeah. You know? I'm bad at math. Your team's paying 48 dollars a month what and you're doing and, and they're paying 85 percent. 85 percent. so what are you paying total uh, it's like 2500 bucks 2500 bucks a month mm-hmm. okay yeah i mean but what what do you get in return when you when you're not a dick and when you're willing to, to do these things for your employees i don't want to lose i don't want to lose them yeah and mm-hmm. how many other places can they go and do what they're doing and get the same care zero taken? unless it's a hotel yeah, well, hopefully after this episode, there's a lot of other places that offer. I that. really hope so because <laughs> yeah. a lot of times I will. It's expensive. Have you looked? Yeah, you know, and I cannot, man. I cannot not take care of them. Yeah, I can't. I can't. People don't care. Like, what's the saying? People don't care what you know. They they want to know what you care, how much you care, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's no there's no better way to show people you care by by literally being there for their health, being there for their their well being, right? That, that's such a great way to show uh, you care. The, the leadership in the restaurant is female. My yeah. sous chef is a female, uh, and I have two female chefs. You know, and like it's it's mostly females at the restaurant. Yeah. It's it's Rico, myself, and Raul, and and three females. And I cannot not. Women require you know specialized care. They yeah. require you know certain things. You need to get from a doctor. So yeah, you. I mean, fuck, man. I got you, man. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, so we have to talk about COVID nineteen. Uh, I don't really want to talk so much about how you reacted to it because mm-hmm. I feel like the time to have react has come and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you a, a adapting to for the new future well what do you think the new future is how do you think the future of the industry looks man uh it's so it's it's funny because i've had a couple of dinners at restaurants and this hit service to its core hospitality to its core it's bad you know you go to restaurants like everything's super sterile and mass and you know one the thing about eating in a restaurant it's like sense of community where you can see other people engaging in their parties or maybe they're celebrating something you can see like the happiness going around now you can't see shit. You can't see any of that because everybody has a face mask. And um, but it, it's so cool to see that the craft itself is so resilient that we're gonna go through this shit. Yeah, especially at Michelin. Michelin's a petri dish. It's a yeah. small train card. Um, you know, it's 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 difficult to kind of navigate a virus in such a small space. Yeah, right. You have more more control over the small space. Yeah, but also like it's 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 like a. It's a, like a can, you know. It's a yeah, metal box, true. so it's kind of like I cannot space people out. I feel you, you know. So, so I you t- went from twelve to eight. I know that's twelve one to thing eight. Should, so yeah. now we have more room between people sitting okay. together. Uh, a lot of our parties are family. Yeah, they're all together, so that gives me more like uh, people you feel better. Yeah, yeah, freaked out as um, much because they're not surrounded by strangers, right? Um, so you know, we take all the precautions that we possibly can. I told my staff, listen, if you don't want to come to work, you don't have to come to work. I did, completely understand. Did anybody not show up? No. Okay. They all want to, they're ready to go back to work. Yeah. But I said, don't feel like you have to, you're not fired. Yeah. You know, I can't pay you, but you don't, if you want to come back, come yeah. back. 
So a lot of people would argue that your business model is the most vulnerable, mm-hmm. high touch, high, you know, uh, you know, fine dining, you know, you're telling the story. It's, it's very intimate. Um, do you agree with that statement? Do you think that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So are you going to change anything about how you guys do things in the future? Or are you, are you sticking to your business? Plan? No, we're sticking to our business plan. Okay. Why? Yeah. Uh, because it's worked for the past seven years, yeah. you know, it's worked beautifully. You know, people yeah. enjoy it when they're done, they leave, you know, um, it's really cool to see them come. Sometimes they come to the same menu in the same week. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey guys, like it's the same thing you had yeah. last week, you know, so they enjoy the experience. So we're past the, 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 the times of, you know, switching things up. Yeah. Um, and, um, Man, I think seven years, man, we haven't done anything yet. We, we have some really cool plans. Are you guys struggling to, to fill those eight seats? No. Or, okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear that. Anything we have not discussed up to this point? Any other advice around COVID or what you think the future is going to look like? Um, so I've been running cases have gone up dramatically here in Texas in the past um, in the past few weeks. And see, I don't know, man. It's, it's it's kind of interesting because you don't really hear about it. Like, you know, there's more reports daily than ever before, but like relative to the news we got three months ago, mm-hmm. it's like nothing's, it's like it's, it's getting better. Yeah. Like no, they're, they're, they're getting looser. There's no cure. There's nothing changing. There's no treatment for it. You know, why do you think that is? Why do you think we're not reacting the same way? Even though there's more reports. I really, man, I, I think the media has this a beautiful, what's a, it's, it's a power they have to kind of switch focus like that. You know, yeah. it's a shiny light kind of thing going on. And, um, Although I'm very grateful of what's going on socially is going on right now. We need like, this big revolution to change things up. But also people need to know that that's not noticed that the virus is gone. Yeah. It's still very much here. So by pointing this out, you're saying that we need to not let our guard down? Or what are you trying to communicate? Yeah, just you know, practice that responsibility. You yeah. know, we do. You know, I don't want to get anybody sick at the restaurant. So in the same token, I stay home as much as I can. Yeah. Um, Thank you for letting us come into your home. Yeah, for sure. No, no. We, so, I think this is about six feet, right? Yeah. Sitting I think the table is about <laughs> yeah. six. Yeah. So it's um, I have to go back to work. Yeah. I have to. I don't. I can't. I'm not on employment. I can't. You do you, know? Do you think that we're doing more damage by putting things off than the actual virus itself if we stay apart? Mm. I don't know, man. Yeah. I do. I'm not. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm worried. I think that there's a real cause uh a really uh, like if we need each other you know like humanity needs each other and uh i think we, we reacted the, the right way we got ultra conservative we got ultra safe we said we need to treat this thing like it's the the, the worst case mm-hmm. scenario because we had no clue but i think we're getting more information we're getting more data uh, i think it's still something that needs to be taken very seriously but i mean how long can we go without moving cash around you yep. know without getting human interaction without seeing people you know like i, I think we forget that we are tribal animals we mm-hmm. are social animals yeah I think we, it's absolutely for uh, mental health my fiance and i went to hestia in austin a few weeks ago they started doing a tasting menu yeah. they changed the format and when you sit at a table and have a sip of a cocktail that you haven't had in months it's the most beautiful thing that feeling of like hospitality yeah you know it was great even though there were masks around like sanitation stations but having that cocktail somebody made for you yeah outside in the in the, in the in just the, being around people man it was yeah. so nice i feel that. you man I've loved this conversation, Chef. I really have. Uh, one question I'm asking all my guests before we go to the speed round. Uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry uh, by making an example of people like you. But how have you transformed over the past seven years now, mm-hmm. right? Seven years as a restaurateur. How have you transformed? Who are you today versus the man then? Man, I think, uh, I think the circumstances of, of the chef world made me much calmer. When we opened, I was very volatile. Mm. And, and my, my staff, well, they've been with me for years. Cassie and Regal can tell you that uh, they've seen probably the biggest change uh, in me in the last couple of years. Yeah. 
because I thought that it was like do or die. It was like, ah, fuck, yelling and throwing shit and like being very volatile. And um, I'm grateful um, because that made me calmer now. Yeah. You know, um, letting people navigate the ship also changes you. Mm. You know, you can see them how they drive their boat and you can take a step back into really relinquishing that control. Yeah, right? that resp- and yeah. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad those days are gone <laughs> because I'm calmer now. Um, I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. I'll be 36 in, in a couple of days. And then, um, so I'm excited to enjoy this next few years of just really just creating how to make the experience better. Uh, not take shit too seriously. Mm. You know, keep it. my circle closed. Uh, and hopefully inspiring, you know, young cooks to really commit and, 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 and do it too because, man, I mean, I, although I don't have a blueprint for them to follow, I have the results if they if they stick stick yeah. to the craft, you know. Well, I can I can speak on behalf of my listeners that you were absolutely inspiring with your story today. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break and we'll be back to bust out a true speed round. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs that's awesome head over to restaurant 365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30 percent off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system a value of 5k you hear me say it all the time on the show this industry is all about relationships and people but even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book, QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachweiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I N E R dot com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one on one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I'm going to say uh, commitment. Yes. What is your biggest weakness? Oh, man. Patience. Mm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Oh, man. 
uh, if they have a car. <laughs> Why is that important? Uh, give me work on time. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Wow. It's so weird because I haven't, I've, I haven't felt like I have a big wall to climb lately. Uh, my biggest challenge now, I pass. I, <laughs> I'll let you, maybe we can ask that one before we say goodbye. I'll come back to it. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Uh, respect. Mm. What is your biggest uncommon standard of service that you teach or one thing you do to go above and beyond to create that experience for your guests? Wow. I got to think about that one. It's tough. It's tough. Something that's common within the four walls of your business, but not common throughout the industry. The, yeah, the, the customers, uh, the customer, how can I say this? The customer's not always right. That's mm-hmm. something I've always believed since day one. They're not. So how do you tell them when they're not right? I'm sorry. Um, one thing I learned, for example, uh, one thing I learned from Charlie Trotter, he used to say it's service, not servitude. Right? Mm-hmm. So when you come into my restaurant, my, my staff deserves a certain level of respect from you as a diner. Okay. You know, so the, you're not always right. I'm sorry. So when you put, when the integrity of another guest or your staff, my staff's always question. first. Yeah, always first. That. That's yeah. a good rule. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? I'm going to say, I just read this book, man. It's called. What's it about? Um, it's called. My friend Kevin Finn gave it to me. What's the name of the book, man? It's upstairs. I forgot. How do it? I forgot the name of the book. You can tell me afterwards. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I'll to put it in the yeah. closing thoughts. We got the book after the recording. Chef Galicia ran upstairs and uh, grabbed it for us. It's Range, uh, Why Gentlest Triumph in a Specialized World by David Epstein. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I'll take care of their staff. What is one service you've hired or outsourced to? So this is something that isn't necessarily a technology, but uh, a service you went to to do a certain thing within your restaurant that you're not good at. Um, that we're not good at. We already mentioned one. We can, re- we can set, recycle Which one? it. Uh, legal Zoom. Legal but Zoom. Is there anything else like that that you outsource to? No. No. Um, yes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's stupid. Linen service. We used to wash our own towels. Yeah. But then that just became a nightmare. So we got a linen service. Which linen service did uh, you go? Alsco. I'll, let's say it one more time. Alsco. Alsco. Yeah. You guys are going to get a shout out. We'll link to that. If you're in the Texas, what do they service? Just San Antonio? Uh, no, it's, I think it's Texas wide. It's okay. like restaurant towels and linens. And although as, as dumb as it sounds, it's very important. Yeah, very it important. is for sure. Um, why is it important? Let's get into that a little bit more. So we, well, I mean, the, the thing is, Chef, you, it's towels. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, we used to like wash and iron all of our linen for the table. Yeah. And uh, Cassie or Sue, she had to like uh, color them in her, in her, in her, uh, uh, washer. It was a process, man. You had to yeah. buy the dye of the store. It's just one less thing you got to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One less thing. But the pros do what they do. Exactly. Um, what is one technology you've leveraged that has had a huge impact on your operation? Talk. Why talk? Uh, it, it just took all the responsibility from us. Yeah. So back in the day, Rick and I had a manual system. So people would buy a ticket and we had to manually go and change the inventory on Squarespace, which, was, which is our website yeah. uh, host. And talk just completely took out all that responsibility. Yeah. We would have services that were booked and then I get six people walking in with yeah. tickets in their hands. Like, yo, I bought a ticket. Yeah. I know there's been a lot of talk about toast on the POS or on the podcast right now, but, uh, 
if if you are taking this approach of selling tickets and doing the experience ticket selling approach, um, by far talk is the most recommended for that approach from that service approach. In my experience, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. This is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yes. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, I would say something I believe in a lot. Maybe it makes sense or not, but uh, cooking is is your gift as a human being. Mm. You know, a lot of chefs are scared to cook like Cambodian, and I don't believe in any of that. You know, I think the moment you're born, you're given this beautiful gift, which is food, mm-hmm. and you should be able to cook whatever the fuck you want to cook. I love it. You know? What's number two? Uh, respect. Uh, everybody deserves respect, whether you know them or not. You know, a certain yeah. level of respect that should yeah. be given. Period. So cook whatever you want. Have respect. I respect. What's number three? Uh, and don't judge people. Don't judge people. That's something you, that's something really, really bad. I think that's a really great piece of advice yeah. right now, um, especially with all that's going yep. on in the world. So what's your advice for – what's your filter f- to check yourself? When you, when you see yourself judging somebody and making uh, a presumption or uh, having a, a bias creep in, how do you check yourself? So the thing is that, that I've been broke. I've been evicted. I've lost cars to repossess companies. and I've, I've, I've been there, man, and it's bad. Mm-hmm. So you should never judge somebody. You don't know. You don't know whether they've been walking. You don't know if they're hungry. You don't know. If, you don't know. I love Give it. them liberal respect. Um, always believe that they have the best intention. Yes. You know? And it's going to save you a lot, of, a lot of problems. I love it. Chef, you've been incredible. We wrap up every chat by calling a couple of folks out, maybe one or two folks that you respect and admire. And you would personally, if they were being interviewed right now, you knew that their, their episode went live, you'd go listen to it tomorrow. Who are some people that come to mind? Uh, definitely Chef Kevin Fink from MRI. Yeah. yeah Kevin is a tremendous, tremendous friend of mine. Um, he is a, he's a genius, I think, yeah. Kevin. And I'll publicly, I'll publicly apologize to Kevin. We had him lined up on the show. I thought I communicated to his publicist asking to reschedule from what we could do it in, per- in person. I never hit send. I never sent the email. The morning of, I begged that we could do it in person. The restaurant's only 20 minutes away from me. And there's mm-hmm. something magical about being a person. And I'm so impressed by what they're doing over there. I wanted to be in person. I wanted to get that experience. And uh, I rescheduled. And I've never done that short notice. And he took it like a champion. I was ashamed. But thank you for understanding, Chef, if you're listening to this. Oh, uh, he listen. I, I, I want to get a second shot. Uh, hopefully, this interview, um, you know, will want you to, to hop on board what we're doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Anybody else that comes to mind? Yeah, a good friend of mine, uh, Chef Jorge Hernandez. Jorge used to work at Mini Bar in Washington for a long time with Jose Andres. And I think Jorge has a really cool story uh, from that world of high end food in, in Washington. You know, mm. like a really beautiful experience he's had. Um, he worked in Austin at Key uh, for a while before going back to Mini Bar. Um, he works for Mighty Union now. They own the, the, um, that hotel in Austin is called. Um, I stayed the other night. <laughs> Shit, what's it? They have a the Carpenter Hotel. Jesus Christ! Okay, yeah, got you, got you. Um, that's actually I love that restaurant. Their brunch is on point. Oh, I can't wait to get him on the yeah. show. So Jorge is the head of culinary for the for their hotel, but he has a really really cool story. Uh, Interesting I can't wait story. To get it. Yeah. I can't wait to get it. Right in our backyard, too. Thank you so much. And uh, we want to come. What if we want to come join your team or maybe come experience your restaurant? What's the best way to connect? Yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, we're on social media Facebook and Instagram at uh, Michley Cloud. Uh, the website's restaurantmichley.com. Um, there's an email you can hit up. Um, yeah. We'll love to see you. Chef, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, anytime. It was Th- fun. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Yes. Woo! That was a good one. Again, thank you so much, Chef Diego Galicia, for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, sharing your story. There's a lot to take away from today's chat. I think the big takeaways 
for me, um, the ones I really like is this, the treating your kitchen like a mastermind, opening up that creative power, that creative energy to everybody and letting them be a part, letting them own their dish, letting them present their dish. How much better are your people going to show up to work every day when they get that that sense of ownership, that sense of contribution and that sense of recognition? It's so powerful. And beyond that, just tapping into all that extra energy. You don't have to do it alone. You know, surround yourself with the right people, tap into that energy, let them contribute and just watch how it serves you and everybody involved. Uh, and I, you know, six employees is how many people they have and they're able to make health insurance work. And, uh, again, I think it was e, uh, e health insurance was the name of the company that he used. We're going to be sure to link to that in the show notes for you guys. Uh, and again, other services like legal zoom, uh, you don't have to be an expert in everything. There's services that exist that you can lev- leverage. So those came out in today's chat, um, which were really powerful tools. And, uh, you know, just also this mindset of it has to work. And when you have that, that mindset, when you adopt that mindset that, you know, no matter what, we're going to make this work. Burn the ships, right? That burn the ships mentality. You just start seeing the world differently. Um, and I think the other really cool thing that came from today's chat is the collaboration, coming together with other people, other like-minded people. Uh, and that's what they were doing with these cooking co-ops. And um, that's how we found this future chef. So uh, in this, this uh, I guess, mindset of or this approach of bringing people together, we want to remind you that Restaurant Unstoppable is starting Restaurant Unstoppable Network, where we're going to be bringing together past guests and some of our most loyal, passionate listeners to one place to, to share knowledge, to, to keep each other accountable, to just show you the power of the collective. And we're, we could not be more excited. So if you're interested in that community, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash network and stay informed. We'll be emailing our list, keeping you guys up to date. Um, We cannot wait for this. We hope that you're a part of it. So uh, until next time, peace out.